Good afternoon, church. Great to see you. I am uh, really grateful to be here. Truly honored and humbled uh, to be a part of Pastor Garrett's installation service. Um, it's, it's just a great privilege to be able to be a part of everything that's going on here in, in some small way, but uh, certainly to get to participate and preach on a Sunday like this uh, is, is a great honor for me and just appreciate always being with you. My, my wife and kids send their hellos as well. They were not able to be here. Um, they were scheduled to go to uh, Myrtle Beach for a vacation, and then their flight got canceled, so the Lord punished them for not planning to be here with you, um, but they're home right now as I'm here. Years ago, I was supposed to preach at Pastor Garrett's ordination service, and then I got COVID and almost died. Um, so I feel like this is the Lord giving me a bit of a redemptive moment here to be able to uh, preach at Redemption Bible Church for this. I've, I've known Garrett for, I think, about five years now, uh, which, if I did my math correctly, is a, about half his life. But um, I've, I've just had the, the wonderful privilege and chance of watching him mature as a squirrely young man in a youth director position to getting his ordination to working through his MDiv and now to accepting the call as lead pastor here at RBC. The idea behind an installation service is to both recognize and celebrate together uh, the installation of a new lead pastor, either a new pastor to the church or uh, perhaps a new pastor to the position, which is the case here. And typically, a, a sermon for an installation service is going to address both the pastor and the church. And that's what my, my job is today. As you well, known, as you well know, the, the relationship between church and pastor uh, can either make or break both the church and the pastor. So uh, it's appropriate then to be able to address both sides of the equation. Now, originally, I intended to preach on something very new, something really radical, something in the New Testament. I, I know that's a surprise to most of you, right? But um, about three weeks ago, I discovered you had a guest preacher here who actually preached the exact same passage that I was intending to preach. So perhaps the Lord had other things in mind. Back to the Old Testament we go. So we're going to be looking at Ezekiel the prophet, not Isaiah this time, but Ezekiel chapter 34. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. I'll give you a little bit of background on him as you're turning. Ezekiel was a, a unique prophet in many ways. He preached to God's people during the time of exile, from exile. The first part of his book takes place leading up to the exile, and then Jerusalem falls, the Babylonians take away God's people, destroy the temple, and the second part of his book, or at least the last third of his book, focuses on the aftermath of that great and terrible time. Ezekiel 34, that we're going to look at today, stands at a pivotal point of that significant transition. In the chapter earlier, chapter 33, God calls Ezekiel a watchman. A watchman was in charge of standing on the city wall and watching for enemies, watching for danger that was coming. Their entire job was all about warning people of what was to come. And God says to Ezekiel, the prophet, he says, if you warn the people and they don't listen to you, you've done your job. If you warn them and they don't listen to you, they are the ones to blame. I'm going to blame them, not you. The guilt is not on you. The guilt is on the people. In other words, Ezekiel could not control the reaction to his ministry. 
Ezekiel's effectiveness as a minister of God's word was based on not his audience's response, but his effectiveness on God's word was based on his faithfulness to deliver that word. That was it. He could not control what the people would do with that. Now, surely there are great principles even there for ministry and for the church today, but that's not my sermon. Now, after Ezekiel calls, or after God calls Ezekiel a watchman, Jerusalem is struck down. The city falls, the temple is destroyed, the people are exiled, and Ezekiel gets word that this terrible thing has happened. He warned them, you would be scattered if you didn't listen, and yet they don't listen. So the Lord allowed them to be scattered. Now chapter 33 ends with God telling Ezekiel that many people will listen to his words, but they will not act on it. You're going to be hearers of the word, or they're going to be hearers of the word, God says, but they will not be doers of the word. And again, there are a lot of relevant lessons, I think, for church and for ministry in that, but, but that's not my sermon today either. Once the temple has fallen, once the exile's officially begun, God gives another analogy to Ezekiel. Not the analogy of a watchman, but the analogy of a shepherd. And that's what we're going to look at today. This analogy goes towards the leaders of the Israelites, the kings, the priests, the elders, the prophets, the scribes. But also in the midst of this message is a message for the people, the congregation of Israel, the lay people. So I thought it would be really fitting to take that passage, since it addresses both leaders and lay people alike, and listen to God's message to Ezekiel the prophet, which is really God's message to us. So that's what we're going to do, Ezekiel chapter 34. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll read some of the text together. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your word. I pray that right now it would challenge all of us, myself included, that we would be humbled before the word of God, that we would see the truth in it, and Lord, that we would come before you in need of grace, recognizing how much of it you give us. Lord, I pray that we would have a great time as well celebrating uh, what you have done here at Redemption and celebrating who you are, God, as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel 34 begins like this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered all over all the mountains, and on every high hill my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or to seek for them. So God's word comes to Ezekiel the prophet. God calls Ezekiel, in the very first verse there, he calls him son of man. Now, with our New Testament minds, oftentimes we think of that phrase, son of man, in connection with Jesus. Son of man is, is the most common designation or title for Jesus in the Gospels. But Jesus' title, son of man, has almost nothing to do with Ezekiel's title, son of man. God calls Ezekiel son of man over 90 times in this book alone. And it's a way of emphasizing Ezekiel's humanity before God. Ezekiel, even though he's a great prophet, even though he's a, a faithful prophet, he's a godly man, he is still simply a son of Adam. 
He's human. And there are probably some really good spiritual lessons for us, even in that title, I think, that we could apply today. But Ezekiel is told to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, these are not literal shepherds he's talking about here. That's what's really significant and key for us to keep in mind right at the beginning. He's not yelling at the blue-collar workers of the day. Uh, Shepherds here is a metaphor for the leadership in Israel, Uh, the kings specifically, but it certainly included also prophets, other leaders like priests and, and scribes and elders of the community. Many, many passages, both in Old and New Testament, refer to the leaders of God's people as shepherds. It's a very common metaphor. In fact, if you read literature outside the scripture, around the time of scripture, you would find that that metaphor was used of Assyrian kings. Uh, you might have heard of the Code of Hammurabi. It was used of Hammurabi. He talks about himself as a shepherd of the people. And appropriately, the New Testament takes that term shepherd and applies it to pastoral leadership. Pastors and elders are shepherds of a church. In fact, the word pastor literally means shepherd. It's a metaphor. To pastor a church is to shepherd a church. First Peter chapter 5, the apostle writes, he says, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Pastors are shepherds. By the way, church, what does that make you? Sheep. It's not exactly a flattering metaphor on your end, nor is it always a flattering metaphor on the pastor's end. But even this word shepherd, I think, brings to mind immediate application for Pastor Garrett's role. Garrett, you are not called to be a CEO. You are not called to make yourself famous on social media. You are not called to make a name for yourself or to be a a spiritual politician of sorts among the people here. You are called to shepherd this flock. You're called to be their pastor. The shepherds in Ezekiel's day were doing a terrible job at shepherding. The shepherds are the leaders, remember, the kings, the prophets, the priests. Why were they doing such a terrible job? Well, Ezekiel details that for us. Here's what that looks like. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to group these concerns into four major categories Four categories of terrible shepherds, and when we think about those things, we can think about what a good shepherd looks like. So the first category that we see here, first principle from the text, is that bad shepherds exploit the sheep, good shepherds feed the sheep. Look again at verses 2 and verse 3. He says, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Instead of feeding the sheep, what were these shepherds doing? Eating the sheep. Instead of feeding the sheep, they eat the sheep. They slaughtered the fattest ones. They ate the fat for themselves. The fat was considered uh, a rich delicacy back then. They determine who they can take advantage of the most. Then they use them up. They take the wool from the sheep and they make nice coats for themselves. Instead of feeding the sheep, they ate the sheep. In that 1 Peter 5 passage I quoted earlier, Peter goes on to write that elders are to shepherd not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Garrett, these sheep are not here to advance your ego. They are not here for your gain. They are not here to be a stepping stone for the next phase of your career. They are not here to make you profit. You will be tempted in ministry to pay attention to people who are most likely to bring you personal benefit. 
Whether that's benefit financially or benefit personally, it's easy to spend the most amount of your time with people that you know are gonna bless you in some tangible way. But the fat sheep, excuse the metaphor, are not the only sheep in your flock. You are here to feed all the flock. And as you well know, the primary method of feeding the sheep is through this right here, the word of God. Feed the sheep through the word. Let your ministry be driven by and driven through good, careful exegesis of the text, good, solid, evangelical, biblical theology. Preach accurately, preach passionately, teach with skill and with humility. There are going to be many, many things in ministry that distract you, vying for your attention. Guard your time in the word of God. Do not forget to keep this priority. Church, I told you this is a message for you as well. Protect your pastor's time in the word. If you want to be fed, you have to give him time to make you a meal. And that means you've got to protect that time. Garrett has studied hard to get to where he's at. I believe he's demonstrated his faithfulness to the word through his ordination several years ago. Many of you were there and saw that. He has demonstrated his faithfulness in what he did earning his MDiv. That's not an easy degree to get. He continues to demonstrate it with what he does in the pulpit week after week. Help him to guard his time in the word. You get the most benefit from that. Good shepherds feed the sheep. Now, second, we see in this passage that bad shepherds ignore the flock's pain, whereas good shepherds care for the weak and the herding sheep. We see this in the first half of verse 4. It says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. Shepherding was a difficult task back then. You not only had to be feeder and protector of the flock, you had to be doctor of the flock as well. A shepherd had to know the basis of, of veterinary care. They had to be able to be nurses and sheep doctors of some sort. They would put healing balm on the, the sheep that had open sores. They would set and bind injured limbs when a, a sheep accidentally broke a limb. They would give rest to those who were worn out and treat those who were sick. I imagine this was probably one of the most tedious and difficult parts of being a shepherd at that time. I know it's one of the most challenging parts of pastoral ministry. Garrett, part of your ministry is going to be spent in hospitals next to sick and dying sheep. You will have to have discernment to know how to triage the needs of your ministry, when to skip an event in order to visit a shut-in, when to leave dinner early in order to go and pray by a bedside. This is not something that you did on a normal basis as a youth pastor, but it's going to become a regular part of your ministry as lead pastor. Please keep in mind, it is an essential part of your ministry as a shepherd. There's an old adage that goes like this. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Care for your flock. Feed your flock and care for your flock. Church, I want to encourage you, be gracious with your shepherd. There's a learning curve in transitioning for the first time to this position. He didn't have to do many sick visits and many hospital visits and many funerals as a youth pastor. Before you get angry with him because perhaps he's failed you in some area, think about how you might humbly help him to get where he needs to go. I would also encourage you, don't hold his age against him. He can't help it. I, I promise you this, church, he will get better at his age every day. Guaranteed. Psalm 119 
verses 99 and 100 say this. The psalmist writes, I have more understanding than my teachers because your testimonies are my meditation. And then he says, I understand more than the age for I have kept your precepts. Worry not so much about his age. Focus on what he does with the word of God. Watch the way he lives his life. That's the way to evaluate his ministry, not, not just a number. Garrett, don't be intimidated by this task. Um, you may not have a lot of wise advice to give a 90-year-old in the congregation, but they're not always looking for wise advice. They're looking for you to care. They're looking for your prayer. They're looking for you to spend time with them. And Garrett, keep in mind that the sick and hurting sheep are not always the physically sick and hurting sheep. Sometimes sheep struggle with mental health issues. Sometimes they struggle spiritually. Another, another old adage for you that I learned in ministry quite quickly, hurt people hurt people. Those who are hurt tend to hurt others. Uh, when your sheep are hurting, sometimes that's the sheep that are going to bite the hand of the shepherd who feeds them most often. Do your best not to harden your heart against them when they're hurting. Uh, be loving, be gentle, be forgiving of them. That's what a good shepherd does. Good shepherds feed the flock. Good shepherds care for the flock. Now, third, we see here that bad shepherds don't care for wandering sheep, but good shepherds pursue wandering sheep. We see this right in the middle of verse four there. It says, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. Remember, this is condemning the bad shepherds of Israel. The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. Sheep tend to wander. It's in their nature. I know some of you have chickens and some of you might have some farm animals. They, they tend to wander. They need to be led to water to drink. They need to be led to the green grass. They need a shepherd to guide them. Sometimes they wander. And sometimes sheep in a church wander to other churches. Sometimes they wander away without any shepherd to watch over them. And that's when they're most prone to wolves. Garrett, you'll have your hands full with the needs of the congregation among you. But don't forget the ones that are kind of straying at the edges. They're your sheep too. I'll give you a little bit of personal advice. What I've found helpful in ministry, one of the easiest ways that I've found to keep those sheep in my sights is to regularly pray through the membership list. Get a list of your sheep and start every day in ministry on your knees praying for your sheep. Start with the, the letter of the sheep alphabet that begins with A, last name's A, end with Zeman, and just work your way down that list day after day. And as you do that, as you pray, the Lord brings the sheep to mind. Have I seen this person lately? Give them a call. You know, has this family been straying or maybe they've been flaking out in some of their ministry responsibilities? Schedule a visit. Allow your prayer for your sheep to motivate your pursuit of your sheep. Good shepherds feed the flock. They care for the flock. They pursue the flock. Now, fourth, we see that bad shepherds rule with force and harshness, whereas good shepherds lead with gentleness and humility. At the very end of verse 4, Ezekiel says, with force and harshness you have ruled them. Now, this is similar to Peter's concern in 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The kings and the prophets and the priests of Ezekiel's day were the, were the Mark Driscoll's of our day. 
if you know that name. They rule with force and harshness. They ran bully pulpits. They always demanded their own way and they used their power and they used their position to leverage until they got it. That's not good shepherding. Garrett, shepherd your flock with gentleness and humility. Be an example to them. They are indeed in your care. They're in your charge. Ezekiel's right when he says they are under your rule. Other passages use that, that word to, to describe what a, an elder or what a shepherd does. But it's a rule with gentleness and humility, not a rule with an iron fist. We don't want to shy away from biblical terms because some people twist them, but we should put them into proper biblical perspective. How did Jesus shepherd his flock? Did he shepherd it with a bullying arrogance? Did he, did he shepherd it with gentle love? I mean, there were times when Jesus had to flip a table, and there were times when he called Peter Satan. But those are the exceptions to the rules. Rule with gentleness and humility, not with arrogance, with harshness, with force. Good shepherds feed their flock. They care for their sheep. They pursue their flock. And good shepherds lead with gentleness and humility. In verses 5 and 6 of that passage, Ezekiel reminds the people what the consequences are of bad shepherding. Ezekiel had bad shepherds, or Israel had bad shepherds, bad kings, bad prophets, bad priests, and as a result, the sheep scattered. Now keep in mind the context of that scattering was exile. The leadership of Israel was evil, and evil leadership led to evil Israelites, and their evil led to their judgment, which was seen in the exile. God exiled the Israelites to Babylon because of their wickedness, and that wickedness was a direct result of that leadership. You see the connections there between the way the leaders acted and the way the people acted. A lack of godliness in spiritual leaders led to judgment. Now, God says next in this passage, look at verses 7 to 10. He goes on, and he says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. God declares that because of the poor spiritual leadership in Israel, because they took advantage of the people, because they failed to care for the hurt and the injured and the wounded, because they ignored those who were straying, because they ruled with force and harshness, because of all these things, God has now declared that the shepherds are his enemy. It's enemy language that God is using here. God personally vows also to go out and to rescue those scattered sheep, but he promises to hold the shepherds accountable for their actions. Garrett, I, I need you to listen to this more carefully than anything else today, and I need you to tremble at this. You are accountable for your flock. You will one day stand before the God of the universe and give an account for exactly how you shepherded these people. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 starts by saying, oh, obey your leaders, submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. James chapter three, verse one says, not many of us should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
Garrett, you will stand before God one day and have to own everything that you did to disciple these people. That should cause some healthy fear and trembling within you. To misquote Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, with great authority comes great accountability. That's Uncle Brian said that one. Church, this is not just a notice for Pastor Garrett. In a moment, the Lord is going to turn his attention towards you. And I'll get to that text when it gets there. But for now, keep in, part, in mind part of the uh, Hebrew verse that I quoted. That first part says, obey your leaders, submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls. But you know what the last part says? It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, because that would be of no advantage to you. Let them lead you with joy, not with groaning, because that's not to your advantage. Speaking as a fellow pastor, I can say one of the best things that you can do for your pastor is to be a joy and not a pain in the butt. Ask yourselves, am I supporting my pastor? Am I giving him joy in the way that I've been serving? Or am I frustrating my pastor? Now, this does not mean that you can't address concerns that you have. It doesn't mean that you can or have to blindly follow his leadership. Everything that Garrett does should be filtered through the word of God. Everything. But some people in the body of Christ seem to, to take on the role of, of ingrown toenail rather than something that's more useful for the body of Christ. So I'd encourage you to think about how is your relationship with your pastor? But ultimately, Garrett, this is a text for you here. You are accountable to shepherd your flock. Now, I don't know about you, but all that sounds quite impossible to me, doesn't it? And church, many of you might be sitting here thinking, you know what, I've, I've sat under this guy's ministry for half a decade, and even he didn't do the things that he's preaching about right now. Let me emphasize something that I want you all to grasp. And this might be the most important thing that I say all morning, and because of that, I'm going to put it up in big, bold letters on the screen. Pastor Garrett will fail you. Pastor Garrett will fail you. Isn't that encouraging? Pastor Garrett is ultimately a failure. Let's pray. No. <laughs> he will fail you. And by the way, I'm a failure too, as were every pastor you've ever had. Pastor Garrett will fail you. You know why? Second line of that, because Pastor Garrett is not Jesus. He's a great guy. I'm honored to have served with him, and I'm honored to call him a friend still today. I really do believe that you made the right choice by voting him in as your senior pastor. He's proven his loyalty, I think, by sticking with you through some really, really difficult times. He's, he's shown his love for you. His skills in the pulpit only continue to grow and increase day by day. He is the right lead pastor for Redemption Bible Church. I really believe that. But he is not Jesus Christ. And you know what? He doesn't need to be Jesus Christ. Look at this next paragraph. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 11 to 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've scattered on, the, on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. 
There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Pastor Garrett is a good shepherd, but God is the good shepherd. Where, where your bad shepherds of Israel fail, God succeeds. God promises to seek out for himself and bring these people back to, from exile. He promises to give them good land. He promises to personally feed them. All of the things that the kings and the priests and the prophets of Israel failed to do, God himself will do for his sheep. In fact, I want you to notice how verse 16 is a reverse order of the indictment against the shepherds from verse 4. I have a slide up here for this, if we could put this up there. This is what we call a chiasm in the text. It's, it's a mirror image where verse 16 mirrors the text from verse 4 in reverse order. Look at the two A lines there. The weak you have not strengthened. Well, God says, I will strengthen the weak. Look at C, the injured you have not bound up. God says, I will bind the injured. E, the lost you have not sought. I will seek the lost. And the effect of this kind of structure is to strengthen this idea that where the shepherds fail, God prevails. You hear this repeated phrase over and over again in that paragraph that I just read. I will, I will, I will. This is God speaking. And many of those statements are even emphasized in the Hebrew text. I myself will. I myself will, God says. Where the earthly shepherds fail, God prevails. Church, Pastor Garrett will never be your greatest shepherd. He will fail you. But where Garrett fails, the Lord indeed will prevail. And Garrett, this is actually great news for you. I don't know if you realize this or not. You do not need to replace Jesus Christ in the lives of any of these people. You don't need to replace him. You need to reflect him. Reflect him in the way that you live your life to the best of your ability. Model what it looks like to be that great shepherd. I kept referencing that text in 1 Peter where the apostle speaks of, to the elders and the shepherds. And, and in verse 2 he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. But after giving some instruction of what that looks like, Peter eventually says this. says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then in verse 4, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Garrett is a shepherd of this flock, but he is not your chief shepherd. Jesus is. Which means that where he fails, Jesus prevails. You recognize that there's a need for forgiveness on his part where he falls short, just as there's a need for forgiveness on your part when you fall short. Christ is your greatest shepherd, though. And at this point of the passage, God has addressed the shepherds quite enough. Good shepherds feed the flock. They care for the flock. They pursue the flock. They lead with gentleness and humility. But even the best shepherds fail their sheep, which is why we all need to look beyond our earthly leaders to our heavenly leader, our heavenly shepherd. So God has addressed the shepherds. Now it's your turn, church. He directly addresses the sheep. That's you. Look at that next paragraph, starting in verse 17. God says, as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, 
Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of that pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you've muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between them, the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Pause there for a moment. God will judge between sheep and sheep. He says between fat sheep and lean sheep. Now remember Ezekiel's context. The people have been exiled all over the world. They're scattered throughout the surrounding nations. But there were a few of them left in the land. A couple of them were left. And those that remained in the land, some of them looked to profit from the situation. They wanted to take advantage of of what they could and gain for themselves off the backs of the weak. They got fat off of the lean. They bullied and pushed around those who were needing help. It's no difference than what we see today in economic crises or times of war or times of disaster. There are some people who seek to help. And then there are some people who look to prosper off the backs of those who need. I remember many years ago uh, when Hurricane Sandy hit. I was living on the Jersey Shore at that time. And um, we were were there when when things were just kind of devastated around us. And many, many people lost their homes. They were displaced, moved from one place to the other. And there were many churches at that time that rose up and helped those in need. They looked to take this time and say, how can we help? Let's collect food, let's collect water, let's give shelter, let's give financial resources. And on the other side, there were many, many businesses and even hotels and motels that jacked up their prices five, six, 10, 20 times higher than what they should have been to take advantage of people that didn't have their home anymore. What kind of sheep are you? That's what God's saying. There are sheep on one side and sheep on the other. Ezekiel's point here is that God is going to hold every single person accountable for the way that they act. He spent the first half of this chapter saying God is going to hold the leaders accountable for the way they treated the sheep. Now he speaks directly to the sheep and he says, I will judge between sheep and sheep. The way you treat each other, the way that you use your resources either for good or for ill, the way that you use your talents and spiritual gifts, God will judge. Even the way that you follow your shepherd, God will judge. Now, this is good news and it's bad news. It's good news for those of you who are faithful, who work hard at being a good steward of what God has given you. It's bad news for those who have been pursuing their own self-interests off the backs of other people around them. This is good news for you, Pastor Garrett, because there will be times in your ministry where you feel like justice has not been served. There will be times when you feel the bite of your sheep and there will be times when you are frustrated because your sheep just don't seem to be listening to the voice of the good shepherd. Rest assured, not one moment escapes God's notice. Nothing escapes God's notice. God will judge his sheep just as he judges his shepherds. Church, you will be held accountable for your conduct among the body of Christ, for better or worse. You'll be held accountable for the way that you support and pray for this man and his family, for the way that you support and pray for one another, for the way that you reach out to this community. You'll be held accountable for how you love one another. None of you will avoid that day of standing before the Lord 
and seeing what you are accountable for. We've seen that this is a message for the shepherds. It's now a message for the flock. Well, the wonderful thing is that God ends this message with a promise. Look at the last two verses of that paragraph that we were just in, verses 23 and 24. God says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is a prophecy of the Messiah who is to come. It's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Now, there are some scholars who think we're talking about literal David here. I think in context of the rest of what you see in the book of Ezekiel, we're talking about the Davidic king, King Jesus. One day, Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth, and he will rule as the great shepherd among you, one shepherd for his entire flock, personally feeding his sheep. And I believe Jesus even alluded to this verse in John chapter 10, verse 16. He said, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Again, that means that ultimately Pastor Garrett is, Garrett is just a holdover here. He's, he's just a temporary reflection of what a good shepherd should be. When he does his best in the pulpit, when you come away feeling fed, keep it in mind that is only a taste. That is a sampling of what is to come with the great shepherd to come. When he fails, or when he falls short of your expectations, keep in mind that that should cause us to continually look forward to our heavenly shepherd who is coming. Once again, Pastor Garrett is not Jesus. He should model Jesus. He should reflect Jesus. But he doesn't replace Jesus. Now, this passage does eventually go on to talk about the covenant that God will make with the Israelites, a covenant of peace where the Lord will one day return them to their land and rule over them. That, have other, that has other implications for us in our day, but we're going to have to save that part for another time. For now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to close my part of this service by inviting the elders and the deacons to come forward, as well as Pastor Garrett and Lauren as well, and whatever child might be strapped to her. Um, <laughs> I like, so I'd like to call the leaders together. I'm going to read a passage from John chapter 10 as they come forward uh, to pray over him and pray over his family and this ministry. But I'm going to read a passage from John 10, which reflects on the good shepherd and gives us a model of what it looks like to be the greatest shepherd. Jesus says this. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." We're going to take a few minutes and pray over Pastor Garrett and his family.